What's up, Timberlake, at 11 o'clock? That's how I say good morning in Georgia, where I'm from. Okay, that felt like a lead balloon. Good morning. Welcome to Timberlake United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Matt. Is that better? <laughs> it's good. Uh, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Uh, I tell you what, it was a little bit hotter in here at, at 8.30 than it is now, and I am loving the AC. So praise God for air conditioning and all the blessings that he gives upon us. Uh, well, welcome to week three also of our series, Rhythm of Life. Uh, so far in this series, we've heard from Pastor Brad that in week one, there's this myth of balance that goes on in our lives. That sometimes we think that we can compartmentalize everything and that everything needs to have an equilibrium. But what we learned is that really what it is is that life is seasonal instead of sectional. And what I mean by that and what Pastor Brad put, put forward to us is that there's a beauty in the seasons, in the rhythm that life brings to us. And that when we give our full effort in the current season, we start to see more beautiful things come out. Last week was a display of God's goodness in which we were able to see a video of that just a little bit uh, ago. And I just want to point out that uh, as we worship together in front of Arby's over here, there was a beautiful thing that happened. Each one of our services coming together in unity, being able to express God in, in different ways of worship, and in a multiple way of worship. And it was a good thing. The, the weather was beautiful. Things, things went, went really well. And once again, we showed the world that the church is not just a building, but is the people of God at work in the world. The last Sunday, we also put words into practice and in our effort to help reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, we walked out in our mission. And it was awesome. So that brings us to this week. This week, we're going to look at how we spend time together and time alone. In his book that I have right here, it's a valuable book. It's a small read, but it's a heavy read, I'll tell you that. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this book's title is Life Together, the Classic Exploration of Faith and Community. Bonhoeffer provides for us a great thought upon how we should seek community. And you can follow along with me the words on the screen as he writes, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community Beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Bonhoeffer expresses, expresses for us some pretty deep statements in his words. And so to break this down a little bit, Bonhoeffer brings awareness that for us who cannot be alone, as well for us that want nothing but to be alone, we should be cautious in either sides of those things. For the person who seeks others and never wants to be alone risks being that person who is led by their emotions and can only be satisfied in their being seen. For those that want to do things their own way, those people who sit there and say, oh, I don't need church, I don't need that community, I can worship God, I can do my own thing. Well, they risk becoming self-absorbed and depressed. In today's message, I want us to look at what it is to find not balance, but abundance in our ability to live a life in community and also to find those places of stillness before God and the rhythm between those. If you would, turn with me to today's scripture in Matthew. It's Matthew 14, 13 through 14 and also 22 and 24. 
Again, our scripture is Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 14, 22 through 24. You can follow along with me in your own Bible or the words will be on the screen. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He goes on to do this fancy 5,000 feeding thing. You can read about it. It's awesome. Following along in our scripture, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then he went on to walk on water, and that's a cool story too. So we pick up the story of Jesus here in Matthew 14 and find that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed by the Jewish leader, Herod. In verse 13, we read that Jesus has heard this horrible news and seeks to get a little alone time, probably to gather his thoughts, to mourn, to pray, to be alone. However, Jesus is interrupted. He's not able to get a little me time before he is surrounded by a large crowd of people. See, these people were seeking something from Jesus. They were not there just to build Jesus up or to even share in his mourning. They might not even have known that his cousin had died. But in the midst of this selfish crowd, Jesus does something, something pretty miraculous in my opinion. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't break down and cry. He doesn't run away yelling into the darkness of night. Maybe I would have. But no, Jesus has compassion on them. And not only does Jesus have compassion on them, but he seeks to minister to them, and he begins to heal the sick and to show grace, mercy, and love. See, Jesus is the man. Jesus is awesome. Have you ever found yourself in the place that if one more thing of life hits you, you might just shatter into a million pieces? As a pastor, a father, a husband, a friend, a son, a coach, a full-time student, and other things that I am charged to be, I find sometimes there is very little time to just be my most important title, child of God. When I say this, I don't mean that God somehow has forgotten me or that I quit being a child of God at some point during any part of the day. But what I do mean is that in the hustle and bustle of life, I forget who I am. In the chaos of this digital age, we as a society have the tendency to seek to gain the whole world and to fill our lives with so many things. In the high-paced motions that we find ourselves constantly in, whether that be getting the kids ready for school or setting up that next doctor's appointment for ourselves or preparing even to receive company, maybe for an evening dinner party or some type of celebration, we pack and pack and pack our lives full to overflowing. Our rhythm of life seems to be set by the beat of a machine gun. Pop, 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 pop. In the chaos of this digital age, we have gotten into a hurry. But the mystery of Christ is that he was fully man, yet fully God. All authority was his, yet as we know from the, Philippians, from the verses in Philippians, though he was in the form of God, 
He did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Through this, we know that Jesus walked the earth as we walk the earth. He was fully immersed in this human experience. As, as Jesus walked, he would have had experiences the same tensions as we experience. Yet in the midst of these tensions, he was always able to say the right things and to be in the right places at the exact right times to minister to the right people, even unto his death. As we read in Matthew, Jesus received the terrible news of his cousin's death and sought solitude, a quiet place. He climbed into a boat, hoping to get away. And he was only met on the other side by multitudes of people. Sometimes when life gets gritty, we lose sight of our relationships with God. The reason why Jesus was able to minister to the crowds was not out of his authority, but out of his humility, that place of humility. Jesus retreating to be alone was not a one-off thing for him to do either. Jesus sought out places of silence and solitude consistently through his travels. In fact, these moments alone were the foundation for his rhythm of life. The times that Jesus went away to be with his Heavenly Father seem to be a side note sometimes as we read Scripture. I want us to see today that verses like Matthew 14, 23 are not mere bridges to another verse, but are insights to the very power and potency of Jesus' ministry. The necessary energy that Jesus received to accomplish the ministry he was called to was not from himself, but from his time alone with God. Let us look at another famous part of Scripture that shares with us the exact understanding I'm talking about. If you would, turn with me to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, or follow along as I read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. For many years I have read this passage in a certain way. In my study this week, the Holy Spirit revealed to me a different way to look at it. This is why I love reading the Bible. There is always something fresh. I've looked at this passage of Scripture many times from the idea that it's just like the devil to meet Jesus at the point of his weakness and to tempt him. But let us look at this again. Jesus was led into the wilderness not by the devil, but by the Holy Spirit. That is such a strange thing to think about, that the Holy Spirit is the one leading Jesus into the wilderness. During that time in the wilderness, Jesus decides to practice the discipline of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. If we look at this scripture, as I did from a human standpoint, we would think to ourselves, wow, Jesus is in a really vulnerable spot. He's probably tired, weary. We know that he was hungry because it says that he was. And then here comes Satan, Mr. Temptation, right? Meeting Jesus at the weakest of his points. However, we should look at this scripture maybe in a different way. See, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, but before that temptation happened, he was in a quiet place with God for 40 days and 40 nights, practicing the powerful discipline of silence and solitude and the discipline of fasting throughout that time. We can see that Jesus was not 
in a place of weakness, but was actually, in, through these disciplines, in a place cultivating a spiritual power to take on Satan himself. He put himself in the place of these disciplines in order to subdue the flesh that he might be able to endure the spiritual assault from the devil. This shows us that it is possible if we submit ourselves to God to be overcomers of all the assaults upon our own lives. The devil doesn't have a chance if our rhythm of life is in tune with Jesus's. There's a temptation for us to live in our weakness. Last week, as well, if you were not here, Pastor Brad shared with us that the church is much like an elephant. He explained to us that when an elephant is born, their trainer places a restraint around their leg and attaches that restraint to a large tree or some other strong object. The elephant pulls against the chain with no avail and eventually is conditioned to in believing that when that clasp is pressed around their foot, they're unable to be moved from that place. So as the elephant grows and matures, it maintains this belief that it cannot move freely when that clasp is on. Pastor Brad shared with us that much like an elephant, we are powerful and that the church is one of the most powerful things on the planet. I believe that if we want to see great movements of God in our churches, in our lives, we should realize the power that we have. We should also understand that we, when we come together as the people of God, we come together to join in the work of Christ. We were taught our purpose is to be apostles, to be sent ones. We take the gospel with us wherever we go, casting out demons and healing the sick. So do we really realize that that is our purpose? To be the hands and feet of Jesus means that we are running with the light of Christ into the darkest of places. We should be on the lookout for those who are sick and praying over their lives the blessing of healing. This is pretty scary stuff to think about when we think about it in practice. How many of us are really willing to see a person on crutches and ask them if they want to be healed? How many of us believe that God is even still in the healing business today? I believe we would like to believe that, but it's hard to overcome that fear to actually speak out the words and to pray over people. So how do we overcome that fear? How do we engage the world as Christ did? I believe that it starts at home here at Timberlake. What I mean by that is that I believe that it starts in each one of our services. I believe that as we start to cultivate a passion for prayer and intercession, that we can look at the life of Jesus and see his rhythm. As we look at the rhythm of Jesus' life, we can start to mimic that rhythm in our own lives. Jesus was a busy guy. And I don't mean that he was overloaded or overtasked. However, we see that he was consistently on the move and looking for the next moment of ministry in all that he did. We also see that Jesus consistently drew away to quiet places to seek the face of God in that place of rest. It was in those quiet places that he was able to fuel the passion and drive to accomplish every task that God had him to accomplish. Jesus cultivated the power for his ministry out of the place of intimacy with God. There are many times in our own ministry that I could, or in my own ministry, that I could look at my schedule and say that I don't have any time for any interruptions. How many of you live inside of a, a tight schedule to where it's like, man, I don't need to be bothered with any interruptions today? Many of us could say that. But as we look into and see what Jesus did, we see that 
people are never an interruption to him. If I were to see people as an interruption in, in, in my place of business here at the church, I should probably pack my things and go and find another thing to do. Because see, people are never an interruption. People are always a blessing. Bonhoeffer writes this in his book as well, and we can follow along. He says, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His faith, that hereto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. So how do we start down the road toward becoming bold enough to ask that guy in the crutches if he wants to be healed? We start with our own attitudes toward one another and seek to find reconciliation and favor with our sisters and brothers. We are able to find the power for this reconciliation through our times alone with God. That is how Jesus did it, and that is how we should do it. See, friends, God wants us to realize our power as the church. We are not to be weak nor complacent nor apathetic in our calling. We are to understand that we have the God of the universe who created all things and holds all things together on our side. However, we are shackled through our busyness and our distractions and our apathies. Hear this today. God is calling us away to the quiet place. He has prepared that place for us to equip us, not in our flesh, but in our spirit to overcome the devil himself. I hope that we see the beauty in this rhythm as we come together to be with one another and as we draw away to be with God, as we go out to minister and as we find that quiet place to be ministered to, we are able to experience the inhale and the exhale of life. If we fail to see the importance of either of these motions, we are either holding our breath or gasping for air. Both life together and the place of silence and solitude are necessary to accomplish the abundant life Christ has for us, each of us, in each season of life. We cannot forsake one and herald the other, for if we do, we see the death of them both. We must seek out both the place of ministry to others as well as the place where we are ministered to by God. If we are going to be bold in our ministry, we must be able to be willing to cultivate a radical lifestyle of silence and solitude. So here's the take home. If we are going to be successful in our mission to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must follow his example. The example he gave us was to be led by the Spirit. Most of us do not have 40 days or 40 nights to be led out into the wilderness. However, we must be able to seek to carve out that time to simply sit in the presence of God if we are to succeed in our mission. I can see that God is on the move here in Central Virginia. I can, I can look with anticipation at what God is doing in the ministries here at Timberlake. And I know that whatever he has for us is very specific and significant. We are coming into a season of new things, and I believe that we need to be unified as, and seek that unity in all that we do. 
we will find the temptation to talk poorly about one another. We will also find the temptation to criticize this thing or that thing. However, if we have taken the time to be alone with God, we will be able to meet our true adversary with the power that only comes from being in the presence of God. We'll be able to overcome the temptations of the devil. When we walk in the same rhythm, we will truly see the fullness of ministry that God has for us as a family here at Timberlake. And I truly believe that, that God has given us a beautiful family here at Timberlake. I know that as I came into this place uh, a few years back, you know, just coming to see what the church was about, I entered in and was blown away by the hospitality here. I was blown away by the people, the warmth, the goodness of the people here. And I hope, and I, I would say that most of you have experienced that. The beauty of that is that we know how to come together pretty well here at Timberlake. We know what it looks like to cultivate relationships and things like that. There's always work to do and there's always better that we can do at it. But there's also a lack sometimes in our movements, in our rhythms of life. And for a lot of us, I think that we don't know how it is to draw away and to be alone with God. And so it is something that we need to cultivate a practice of. It is something that we need to put into practice with. And as we see that flow of coming together and going away with God and being alone with God and coming back together, we see that as we're alone with God, He cultivates a fire inside of us. And as those individual flames come together here in the services on Sundays, we start to burn bright. And I believe that there are people out there that need to see that light of Christ. And so as we cultivate that time and those times alone, know that God is there with us. And it's important for us to seek those places as equally important to come together and to share in each other's fire. And I think that God has beautiful, beautiful things ahead of us within that ebb and flow, within those rhythms of life as we go out and as we come together and as we go out and we come together. And that is a beautiful motion. It starts to look like a dance. And we know that the scriptures tell us that God dances over our lives. And so as he calls us into a rhythm together, I want us to understand and to seek that place of solitude, but also to seek what it is to be beautiful in unity together. Because life together and life apart is part of our natural flow of life. It should be, at least. And so I commission you this week just to really seek those places of solitude, carve out those times that you can be with the Lord, and then come back together next week and tell those stories to each other. It's a beautiful dance that we dance in. Let us pray. Father God, I say thank you so much for who you are. I say thank you for your life. I say thank you for all the things that you have done, that you are doing, and that you are going to do in and through us. God, I ask that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be a people of silence and solitude, but that also we would be a people that gather together to tell your story of the greatness that you have done. God, show us what it is to be alone with you. Show us the power that that provides. Allow us to be people that are willing to withdraw and just to hear from you. For in that is the very power of life itself. And so God, we ask for that ability. God, we say thank you for this church. I say thank you for each individual who is in this room this morning. I ask for those who might be hurting that you would, yes, that you would draw near to them, that you would be with them, God, and that you would draw near to us all. We say thank you for your life. And it is your son's name I pray. Amen.